Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our thoughtful and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 3, Past Prologue, teleplay by Catherine Powers and directed by Winrich Colby. This episode aired on January 10th, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, a Bajoran terrorist tests Kira's loyalties to the Federation when he attempts to rid Bajor of the Federation for good. Oh no, that sounds so dramatic. <laughs> I mean, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a dramatic episode. Uh, what did you yeah, think of it? it really what was. did you think of it, Elise? Um, I like Bajor politics, so I was excited about that. I really like getting more Kira backstory. Um, you know, this episode implies that she was formerly a terrorist. <laughs> um, so that's always interesting when your characters have maybe shady backstories um i really i really liked it actually um it was interesting how the cardassians who are like the quote-unquote bad guys in the pilot were had very big like i told you so vibes in this episode they were kind of um made to seem maybe not as bad as we thought or it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, or maybe like the show wants us to, to look at that the uh, the Cal I think it's the Kalma or Kanma the um sect of the Con- the Konma the Konma yeah the the sect of Bajoran revolutionaries that Tanalos is is part of as being worse than the Cardassians because it's kind of like um the partisans in, in star wars saw saw guerrero's group to to use i guess an anachronistic example because right. they didn't exist yet but it's like they're like so extreme and they're still they're still fighting and they're not like you know the good freedom fighters they're the bad freedom fighters because they are they're the the edgelords and you know they they pick different targets and things like that which all which also isn't good and it's it just you're right in that it's it's complicated and i'm willing to overall take the episode and its portrayal at at face value and again i do think i do think that when you're you're talking about just war theory and and like you know actions you can and can't do and and things like that or do anyways but aren't supposed to do in in war it can get like there are thousands of, of books and, and postgrad courses that that can you know negotiate through that and i don't think listeners we have have the time to to go through that we want to talk about about star trek but i do <laughs> think it's it's interesting and in that this episode portrays a commonality between two galactic state powers that unify against this kind of extreme revolutionary group that again is not doing some some great things but then again the federation doesn't do great things and we know the cardassian union doesn't do great things either so it's it's reminding me a lot and i've been been reading some other books about this in the specific kind of canadian international foreign relations kind of context but the way in which capital capitalist states can align together to promote their interests right even though like one minute they're diametrically opposed 
but when it comes down to it they're still interested in maintaining the status quo and expanding kind of the capitalist project and so that kind it was interesting and again we have to like put this in context it's like 1993 and and everything else like that and i think up to this point in star trek history it's kind of had done a a piss poor poor job portraying um quote like terrorism or armed struggle against you know oppression i'm thinking there's a tng episode i can't remember the name that's like was supposed to be like a, a northern ireland allegory and it kind of wasn't and didn't really say anything it was the one where bev got kidnapped i don't know if you've seen that one yet elise um um i don't remember to be honest yeah it was just it's a pretty average to bad tng episode to to be mm-hmm. honest but it's a bad episode so i'm gonna enjoy it regardless of yeah. whether it's bad or not no, but i'll enough. look for that <laughs> fair enough but yeah i guess what i'm trying to say just the way that like even now in the 24th century we have galactic states that at one minute are belligerents and are opposing each other that are aligning up against something that they perceive as a greater threat which isn't to say that the coma aren't a bigger threat or that i co-sign anything that they do or their approaches but i i bring that up as we kind of you know get into the episode and talk about it because i think that larger point informs some of my thoughts and reflections as to kira in episodes one and episode two and the the two-part pilot and then now episode three in what feels like like she's taken large leaps <laughs> from her her perspectives on the federation and federation involvement in in bajor since we last saw her and i think yeah I, go yeah. ahead sorry oh i was just saying i have this in my notes later but there seems to be a little bit of retconning of things that she said in the first in the in the pilot yeah, and, and I, go ahead. Sorry. Not like a hundred percent. I mean, she still seems skeptical, but it just seems like I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But she's having to defend a position that last episode she was so adamantly against. Yeah, no, ex- exactly. And I think too, just uh, on this point of it being, you know, we're calling it episode three because the first the pilot was was two parts. Um, yes, but this is the second episode that aired but it was the third episode to film so our next episode which is i think on a man a man alone i think is episode three is the title that was the second one that they filmed and then they aired out of order for whatever reason um oh that's interesting so there there, so some of the things that we commented on during the pilot like kira's hair as an example have changed now for this episode it's more that what we're used to kira in season one being that kind of shorter haircut there and that was a change that nana visitor advocated for because she didn't feel kira was the character that would spend that time styling her hair like you know it was in in the pilots and there's some changes to oda's costume and stuff from the the pilot and stuff here too so it'll be interesting next episode to see if you know which hair kira has um and things like that but yeah just all kind of like you say they're you know they have they have the world fleshed out but they're still filling in i think a lot of a lot of the details right another thing i thought of is that um i always wish that we had more jazia decks and she does her job in this episode but we don't see much of her she doesn't really have that much to do but I was really excited for 
the introduction of Garrick, who is one of my favorite yes. recurring characters. So, um, yeah, Garishir, which we can get into later, is one of my favorite ships of Star Trek. So I was very excited for his introduction. And I didn't remember from when I watched the first time, like when that had happened. So I, I you know, I wasn't super surprised that he wasn't in the pilot, but I didn't remember until starting this episode that it, it was in this episode that we met him. Yeah, and I think just to build off that too, so Catherine Powers is credited as the the sole um, writer for the the teleplay for Past Prologue, but I believe it was Peter Allen Fields, one of the other writers in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, who kind of came up with the idea of of Garrett kind of in in the writers' room and things like that. So I did want to give give him a a shout yeah. out there. Um, yeah, I saw I saw that they kind of did work together, even though she was credited fully yeah and i and i do want to say i guess while we're on on the the subject of of katherine powers teleplays in star trek um she i believe is the credited writer on the season one episode of next generation code of honor which is probably one of the not probably which is one of the worst episodes of star trek ever <laughs> so i enjoyed yeah. this one a lot, a lot more <laughs> Yeah, I had, um, I guess I can mention this now, but um, I had written later that um, in one of the original concepts for this episode, she had um, Tanalos as a former lover of Kira instead of just like a friend. And then uh, Michael Piller decided that that was a little too cliche for television and they changed it to they just were like old friends or old, you know, old acquaintances. I think no. it plays better how it is now. I agree. I, I do I do like that better, right? I, I do like that better. <laughs> I do like that better. I agree. <laughs> and yeah, I, I often like forget how early past prologue is that it's, you know, episode the first episode after the pilot. Just because like Garrick becomes so essential to the the fabric of what what I recall is Deep Space Nine, and largely because Rick Berman sucks, as we have have talked about a lot through the through the podcast. Um, we don't get a lot of Garrick until later on because just of how Robinson decided, I think rightfully so, to play Garrick in his scenes with Bajir of having kind of those those homoerotic undertones. Yeah, because he definitely it, it, wants to bang Julian. It's really <laughs> obvious. <laughs> oh, totally. And the, the the powers that be at the time limited the use of, of Garrick and, and Robinson on, on the show early on because they were either uncomfortable themselves or worried about how that would kind of come across. So, you know, fuck that. Give us... Yeah, what a horrible move. (laughs) There should always be more Garrick. I just, I'm so, uh, he's just great. Andrew Robinson's so good in this role. He's just, it's like the the epitome of campiness to me. It's just, it's so perfect. I just, uh, I love him. I love how uneasy he makes Julian, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess brings us into this. 
this episode kind of had one big plot that had like everything was related to the main plot, but I I like separating out the the Garrick Julian stuff a little bit. Right. Just because they kind of had their own little parts of play. Um, even though it does eventually tie into the main um, storyline. So, you know, we meet Garrick, as we said, and um, he's a Cardassian tailor. And Julian is like, he's he's rumored to be a spy. And he just sits down at Julian's table and just he makes him so uncomfortable. But also Julian's so excited I mean, this is a character trait we don't learn till later, but Julian loves, like, spy. Anything to do with spies, he loves it. That's, like, his favorite thing to do in the Hollow Suite <laughs> is, like, be, like, James Bond. <laughs> so, he's... <laughs> so, anyway, he's he's just convinced that Garrick's trying to get secrets from him. He asks Cisco if he can wear a wire, basically, when he talks to him next. It's... It's a treat. I was hysterically no, and I and I just think one of my favorite things about Julian in this episode and his scenes with his scenes with Garrick, and then when he's talking about meeting Garrick up in up in ops, and it's just how physical Sadig's performance as Julian is in, in this episode. And I mean, it, it was you know, and a little bit in his the couple scenes that he had when he's introduced and stuff in the pilot, but there's just this great physicality to his performance and what he's doing with his face. And just, you can feel that Julian is, is just radiating with this enthusiasm that, you know, this, this alleged Tinker Taylor spy has reached out to him. It's like, Oh, I'm, I, I can, if you want me to pump him for information, if you want me to, <laughs> if you want me to befriend him and contact Starfleet Intelligence, and he's just like such like this energetic like puppy dog that it's like someone gave our dear doctor like too much candy before dinner. He's like and... ready to call Section Thirty One or something. <laughs> yeah. if, if he knew it existed, he would. Yes, of course. I just have a vision of how funny it would be if like we got a scene where Gar- where um Julian's getting like wired up. Like on like the Sopranos or any other sort of uh, like TV show where they just have someone like (laughs) getting like the wires taped to their body. Like I just think that would be really funny. Obviously, it's Star Trek, and there would be um, some other form of wire because it's the future, and hopefully they would have a better uh, plan. But I still laugh at the idea of him getting like wires taped to his body. I'm also excited that we get the Dora sisters in this episode. Um, although at first everyone's like, why are they here? <laughs> it's funny how, not funny, this is like, I hate how Odo just assumes that they're doing something horrible and wants to like basically lock them up. He's like a real piece of shit in this episode. In the scene with Cisco, he's just, can't we just lock them up and... Uh, Cisco's like they haven't done anything wrong and then he idolizes when he used to work for the Cardassians and he's like well that might not have been the best approach but at least it was the rules were clear and I'm just like this dude would follow Hitler like he would just be like oh the Jews lock them up you know burn them and he would just be like completely following orders and I I found this really disappointing because I have fond memories of Odo 
and I know he does grow on the viewer, at least for me. I can obviously only speak for myself as time goes on, but this scene really turned me off. I really felt like he would be doing Hitler's bidding if he was in that situation. Right, and like, and it just all kind of goes back to something that we were talking about with Odo last time. It's just that up to this point, he is just very much the sheriff. He he is the cop, right? And, you know, rough and tumble. And it just, he's, we don't really know who Odo is yet aside from it, from his, his job and his job. I mean, I get that we have like the security officers and the starships and like, it's, it's complicated, but like, ultimately, like when you're talking about the state the role of policing is the authoritarian arm of the state or one of the authoritarian arms of the state right and and to hear one of our our main characters speak so glowingly about a regime that we know irreparably damaged bajor and the bajoran people and really are are our villains for the series and then up to this point like star trek history have have seen doing very very like villainous things and you know i don't want to want to spoil you for things that are coming in season six of your tng rewatch but like it's really kind of uncomfortable right and i also don't understand from a character standpoint how and why kira and odo have the the rapport and the friendship they do right because just a couple weeks ago he would have been locking up kira or locking up tana loss or like anyone who was part of the bajoran underground or the bajoran resistance against the illegal cardassian occupation of bajor so i just just something isn't clicking for me there yet and it's just like really uncomfortable to watch Yeah, I found it extremely uncomfortable. Just, I mean, as a Jewish person, like, I was just, I was so, it was really upsetting. I was like, this is just inexcusable that he would be longing for a time when the rules may have been shitty, but at least they were clear. And I was just, I was really, it really sucked. Yeah, and and I don't think, unfortunately, too, that, like, that attitude is just exclusive to mid 20th century fascism either like i think that's still an attitude that you know today and it it, it still still, exists in the world and whether it be you know some someone on jacked up on a neighborhood watch or even like you know policing today and like that's why it's it's really it's really kind well, yeah of you hear you yeah. hear stuff like that all the time where like someone does something bad and the cops act completely inappropriately and the response from people are oh well they should have been following the rules like that doesn't make that's not a justification for that kind of action or on that person i just um, i was i like realized when speaking about this scene that i was more heated than i realized no totally totally fair and i've always drawn rightly or wrongly like 
Holocaust comparisons to the Bajoran occupation. And like it could be, yeah. like, I don't know if that's then just that shorthand and like there's stuff to unpack there. But I mean, they have camps. They were tortured. Like there, there are, there are similarities for sure. For no, exactly. But then I, I think too, we can even, and maybe another lens that I, and I mean, it's as a settler myself, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're, it's not my, my lived experience or my generation trauma or anything else like that. Um, but Cardassia is a settler colonial state, right? And they're expanding and like, like, like the Bajorans are also like a standard for any kind of like indigenous culture, like whether it's like, you know, the indigenous peoples are the, like the indigenous peoples that, you know, were displaced by Canada and all. Anyways, we're getting way off topic. Sorry. <laughs> we should stop now. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm going to like be yelling at myself later when I have to edit this. All right. So, yeah, but we, you should save that for another time. Maybe we can like, like the audio. I, I'm just edit it and like put it somewhere else. I don't know. Um, anyway, for posterity, <laughs> I only have so much, some hard drive, so much hard drive space. All right. So we have the Duras sisters on deep space nine, which, I have mixed feelings about because again, it, it kind of reminded me of, you know, when you're watching Star Trek, the next generation for the first time and the first episode after the pilot is a remake of that original series episode <laughs> where everyone starts acting like horny and out of character and everything yes, else like that. I, that they should have waited till like halfway through season one to put that episode. But yes, I remember. So that. it kind yeah, so it wasn't exactly like a remake of an old episode, but it was just like we had the Picard, you know, guest star feature in the pilot. Okay, I get it. I'm down with that. That made sense. And now it's like, here's our next episode. It's like, here are these other characters from TNG. We are Star Trek. We are Star Trek. Yeah. And it's like... it's a, Yeah. I mean, as much as I find the Dura sisters amusing, I definitely felt like, all right, so like these are kind of baddies we already know. And yeah. it just felt like recycled a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like it, they could have been anyone. And I guess when like they could have been anyone, why not, you know, bring back characters. So you have that connection. Um, I guess it's like Harry Mudd in the first season of Star Trek Discovery. Like it could have been anyone, but I guess it's, it's a fun thing, but I do, I do like the Dura sisters. I do like Lursa and Bator and we'll get into that more in one of our regular sections um so i'm not i'm not hating it but i'm just like gotta like you're trying to stand out as your own show but you keep keep bringing back these people um i was gonna say i love well like garrick realizes that the dura sisters are there to meet um tanalos and that's shady and i love and i think this is so ridiculous it's so on the nose that when odo decides to spy on the conversation that they're to have he turns into a, a rat <laughs> I yeah. was like, just, I was like, this is way too on the nose. Like, like just, I don't know. <laughs> it was just Look, really if funny. Martin Scorsese can do it in The Departed later, <laughs> Star Trek can do it now. It works. <laughs> it really did work. Um, although if I, I laughed when he like turned back into himself after the conversation, because I was like, I would have like, you know, been a little rat and squirmed out of there. So no one knew, but. I guess it's not that kind of show. They didn't need to like catch him in the act. Um, so Garrick, uh, I, so Garrick realizes that um, 
the oh the Jura sisters come to see Garrick because they the Jura sisters are going to sell something to Tana Lois, but they also want to get paid by the Cardassians. So they're trying to like sell something and get money from Tana Lois, but they're also trying to turn on him so that they can like get even more money. I I, I felt that the whole I don't know it seemed like the whole premise was just to get more money. Yeah, hundred percent because they're they're. <laughs> yeah. They're traveling the galaxy now. It's like post Klingon Civil War, which spoiler alert for um, Redemptions Part One and Two, which um, I just watched. Season five premiere of of TNG. Yeah, they lost the Klingon Civil War, so they're renegades, and I think they're trying to raise money to fund their you know operations and probably eventually I don't know maybe try and retake power in the Klingon Empire. But yeah, they're they're just looking for that that sweet sweet. I would say Suicy coin, but I guess that's sweet, sweet gold press lot. <laughs> They're like, cash rules everything around me. Cash, money, money, money. <laughs> um, so so Garrick has like a plan and he, I, he, this completely goes over Julian's head because Garrick's like, why don't you come into my shop to buy something at exactly 8.55 p.m. And Garrick, and Julian's like, what? That's so specific. <laughs> But he doesn't realize that clearly Garrick wants him to overhear the conversation that he's going to have with the Dura sisters later. Um, and I, I appreciate that Cisco, when Julian goes to Cisco to kind of explain what's happened, what his conversation with Garrick, um, Cisco is smart enough to realize that Garrick's actually trying to help them. He, um, yeah. he just wants someone from the Federation to be witness to whatever's going to go down. Why do you think Julian is like interested and wants wants the station administration wants Starfleet to be aware? Because it's ostensibly Garrick is, you know, as far as we know now, is is sending information back to to the Cardassians and is brokering a deal with with the Duras sisters and the Cardassians. So why would he want the Federation involved? What do you think his motivation is there? Um, what is Garrick's motivation? Do you mean? Yeah, yeah. I honestly hadn't thought about that, so I'm not really sure. But um, I just feel like I want to just think that Garrick's a good person, but I don't know that that's, like, the only motivation. I honestly didn't give it much thought yet, nope. if I'm being Fair honest. Enough. Yeah. Enough. Fair enough. And I don't, think the, I don't think the motivations are necessarily, like, clear in the yeah. episode, like, either, right? Which is kind of why I asked. It's like, what do you Garrick, think? I don't know. It seems like he's a he's a a, a man, a, a Cardassian that that's playing all sides. So we don't. Yeah, that's he's fair. He's a bit of an, an enigma, right? We don't yeah. know why he he does what he does. Yet, he seems like so. he's trying to at least get um, some sort of rapport with the Federation. So I don't know if it's so that I can help him later with something else, or there's there's no way to know that at this point. But it does seem like. He wants to be on their good side, especially if he's operating a shop at Deep Space Nine. Right. Right. Um, I, we should point out that um, when the Duras sisters show up and Julian overhears their plans that they're selling parts for a bomb to Tana Luz, And that is what relates to 
the A plot of this episode, but I just wanted to take a moment to say that I was laughing at the the blazer or the suit jacket that Julian was like told to try on. It looked like a lady's jacket to me. Not that clothes should be gendered because they shouldn't be, but um, the cinched pockets, I don't know. The suit color was ugly, but if it was in a nicer color, I feel like I would have worn it. Like the color, okay, but the in, color in fa- wasn't nice. Okay, but in fairness, it was like the '90s, so like, <laughs> what pattern or color really, really holds up from That's the '90s? Fair. But I was just laughing at it, and I was like, it reminded me of the, the episode of The Office where Michael. I don't know if you've seen that, but Michael Scott accidentally bought like a women's suit. <laughs> just like oh, it's really okay. yeah i remember that one i'm not even like an office stand like i i like can't rewatch it too much but it reminded me of that scene so i think that's most that of funny. the of what goes on with garrick and julian which brings us to yeah. the a plot of the episode yeah. to all the kira stuff yes bejor 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 where did you want to start oh. with the asylum stuff? Yeah, that or... works. Yeah. Yep, cool. Take it away. Okay. Um, basically, um, a Cardassian war vessel is pursuing a Bajoran scout ship, and they beam whoever's on that Bajoran ship onto um, Deep Space Nine, and it's Kira's old friend, Tanalos, who is part of this terrorist group called the Kone Ma and he's requesting political asylum um at first Kira's really sympathetic to the Kone Ma's pursuits it's a complicated situation as we we talked about at the beginning of the episode um it seems almost from the beginning of their reintroduction that Kira is trying to convince Tana Lose that she's still fighting for Bajor and she's constantly having to prove to him that even though she's working with the Federation, she is only doing it in Bajor's interest. And I feel that um, it's interesting that they brought this person on so she can, like, they can show that either she changed or that she's the same. And I find that it's, as we said earlier, it feels a lot different than how she acted for the pilot. Yeah, and and I meant to look up I meant to look up the the start dates to see how how much time has passed between the end of emissary and past prologue. Right. Because, um, this I mean, is where I, I fully admit that I don't understand start dates. <laughs> like I don't know how they work. We don't have to get into that now. I was just scouting myself. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um but like obviously, there's there's been some some time, and I mean the the existence of the wormhole does does change change the geopolitical landscape in that in the Bajoran sector than when you know the than when the show started. However, I guess a lot of the drama for Kira in this episode, the character drama specifically is internal to Kira between, you know, Tana Loss representing who she was and then her trying to figure out and identify with with who she is now, 
right? And I think that's that's the the genesis of the idea, and that's something that I like on paper. I really enjoy and can kind of get behind because again, people grow and we evolve and we change and our perspectives change and our new experiences are inform our perspectives, et cetera, et cetera. I just felt like functionally within this episode, especially compared to the character I saw last week, um, was that Kira seemed to have almost taken a total like 180. And when she's having the, the debates and the discussions with Tana Lost, it's like, well, things have changed now because of the wormhole. And it's like, yes, but like she, like I didn't expect her to be this like ardent, I still believe this, but I defend the Federation now. Like I almost would have thought that she can still kind of have a different perspective from Tana Lost and still have character, but dive more into kind of her internal conflict, which in fairness, the episode did. And that's when, you know, they used Odo as the, the foil and stuff for, for her to go to. But I don't know, it just felt very different because it felt like last week she was Tanalos and now she's not. Yeah. Like Yep. But again, it's nineties tracks, so yeah. we'll we'll allow it. Um yeah, I I I also had issue I mean, this is just a personal thing, but it felt very much to me like Tanalos was almost like that person on the internet where when you say something makes you like prove out every little thing that you say. <laughs> and I found that right. to be a little frustrating. I don't know. So I feel like Kira would have agreed with me and was seemed very frustrated by him not trusting her that she knew what she was doing. Although I guess, I mean, we find out later that he's like basically full of shit. So... So yeah, so he's trying to say, like, I want asylum, and he claims he's not part of the Konma anymore, and and um, that he doesn't want to be violent. And Cisco is trying to decide whether or not to grant him asylum to Deep Space Nine. It bothered me that before Cisco had even a chance to think about his decision, Kira goes behind his back to the Admiral which I don't know why she would think the admiral would like necessarily just be on her side because it was the Federation admiral. Um, and so I just feel like a lot of times Kira accuses people of jumping to conclusions, but she also does that a lot herself. And I, it's not a character trait that bothers me, but it's just something that I find interesting. I feel like we often criticize things in other people that we do ourselves. And that's what the part of it that interests me. No, that, that's totally fair. That makes sense. And I think specifically in the case of Kira, that take chargeness or her ability to make decisions quickly probably kept her alive, whether it was, you know, growing up as a child in, in one of the, the labor camps or then ultimately when she was with the Bajoran resistance against the the occupation. And I believe she mentioned last episode that it, she'd basically been involved since I think she says she was whole, old enough to pick up a phaser. So I don't know. Yes, 12, I remember 13, that 14, line. Like mm-hmm. something like that. So I like I think this is part of her... And as we talk about it, maybe I'm liking the episode a bit more. Um, but like part of her her arc towards, you know, I figuring out who she is now, kind of after the occupation, right? Yeah. And which I think is 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 interesting. And I I agree that like the episode wants us to have 
this like oh my god i can't believe she did it like we need to like you know she's going against our lead she's going against her boss like this is bad this isn't appropriate and it's like i mean maybe not but under whose conceptions of rules and you know ways of behavior and and things like that well starfleet yeah but starfleet again is our our kind of quasi-colonial power that like when you know they're they're enforcing whether whether they overtly realize it or not it's like a case where they're enforcing their own norms and mores on the bajorans right Right. i think i would have a less issue with it if cisco had shown that he was maybe considering not granting asylum it's just that he literally hadn't said one way or the other yet and that is it's like complaining about something before it happens that that's what it felt like to me but i uh, i agree with you that she's had to act in this way to survive and that that is very understandable given what she's gone through yeah yeah no for for sure. And I guess then just a little like point I want to kind of like dive in a little bit deeper and maybe we can lump these two together and kind of skip skip ahead to some of the other points and then circle back to the O'Brien stuff. Um, but I, I do find the idea of the, the Colma interesting, right? And it gives us the sense that the Bajoran resistance or underground against the Cardassian occupation wasn't a unified movement that it was a loose collection of these different kind of fractional or or sectarian groups all fighting towards the common goal of Bajoran liberation but again having their own doctrine or you know ideological understandings or opinions of what um a Cardassian free Bajor would look like right so I, I did like that as as a window in it's not like just a uh you know, we're on the, the same tide and we are called the rebels. And it's like, you were, but that's an oversimplification because, again, you're talking about, you know, when you're having resistance of foreign occupation, it often is, you know, fractional and sectarian groups that sometimes don't even, you know, get along with each other, even though they have the same ultimate common goal of, you know, throwing off the the oppressive the foreign oppressors um and it's also interesting to me how then that ties into what we learned about in the the political situation on Bajor currently that talks about how provisional the provisional government is and is still subject to some of these fractional or or sectarian concerns and how Kyle Paca is really that the only unifying force on that too so I did think that was a a nice callback and and like you said before always down for Bajoran politics yeah and and like I don't know about the Konma in general but Tanalos feels very like Bajor first to me right he's anti-globalization he doesn't want commerce with other planets and he doesn't he want or to even be the power in the quadrant so it just felt very um reminded me of some right right wing extremists in 2021 no totally totally agree and he even says something was he say like bajor for bajorans which like yeah. gets my like fash alarm going yeah <laughs> fash alarm is right? my new favorite yeah. thing that i've ever heard <laughs> Right, and then that, that all again it it ties into all that we're we're talking about here. Where it definitely seems like the Cold Maw, like we're not only a a violent, like an extra violent group, and you know went after some you know 
questionable targets and and during the the occupation but they very much seem interested in a bajoran ethno state right like that's what i hear something like bajor for bajorans it's you know specific kind of you know ethno ethno state there and it makes me wonder um what his definition of of a true bajoran would be and i mean light spoilers for for stuff later in in the series but uh, we learned that Bajor in the past had a had a caste system that they moved away from. But it, you know, there's talk about that. So it's like I think it's fair to perceive anyone's definition of what a true air quotes Bajoran would be probably is informed by the internalized prejudices of a caste system. Yeah, it just felt very America first to me, and that really, uh, I guess, perked my fash alarm. <laughs> I mean, it 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 would. Yeah, it, it would. So yeah, enjoy so unrelated to Let's go ahead. Un- yeah, no, you're fine. Unrelated to Bajor, I found it really interesting that even though Miles O'Brien doesn't really have a stake in the Bajor Cardassian situation, he reminds um, Cisco that Cardassians are torturers, um, which I think is actually probably one of the deciding. F- I got the impression that was one of the deciding factors that Cisco um, considered to granting asylum on Deep Space Nine to Tonalos. Um, I think he did this despite Kira going over his head. Um, I mean, he probably obviously considered what Kira was saying, but I, I think Miles really um, convinced him also. But I don't have a background on O'Brien's experience with um, the Cardassians. I'm not really up to that in um, TNG yet. Yeah, no, it's it. There's a yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to talk about that that episode when uh, when you get there. It's yeah. It's it's, it's always it's kind of interesting the ways that you can see when you get through, especially I think like in late season five and like season six of TNG. You, Deep Space Nine is like a thing that they're working on, so they really kind of feather in I think more of the Cardassian stuff to to kind of set the stage for them being the antagonist in in deep space nine when it started so yeah there's there's lots for us to talk about and and dive in there yeah so in addition to getting asylum on deep space nine kira is working to get tanalos asylum on bajor um and it's funny she's so excited and like i guess she has two or three ministers that she needs to um to get this approved and she doesn't even realize that cisco is angry at her for going over his head and (laughs) i felt like he obviously didn't say this but his tone with her was like what the fuck you tattled on me bitch like he just had this i mean he i don't think he would have ever called her that but it just i had this vibe of like he was just so angry and (laughs) it just um yeah it was a lot um, I found also that Tanalos was clearly um, manipulating Kira to get what he wanted. So he finally admits that he's part of the Kone Mostil and he claims to have some new peaceful plan. And I just feel like nothing that he says can be trusted. I mean, the viewer knows that he is buying parts for a bomb. So and Kira doesn't. I don't think Kira knew that at this point. I'm not, I'm not, I don't remember. But Kira really has to make a decision. And this is what you were saying, that Kira has to basically decide between Tanalos and what he perceives as 
what's right for Bajor because he's not even being that clear with her on what he thinks that is and the Federation, her job, what she thinks is right. So she goes to talk to Odo, um, which, as we said earlier, is a weird move because we really don't really we don't really know where Odo stands on everything. She mentions that Odo has no love for the Federation, but I really don't feel like that is something that has been shown to us up to this point. And now that you said earlier that the episodes got switched, I'm curious to see the next episode to see if there's something in there that enlightens us on Odo's feelings on the Federation. Because I don't really, up to this point, we I don't think we really know how he feels. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. And I do think the next episode or the, the last episode for them for filming is like an Odo one. I do think we get to see some, some Odo detective, detective, detecting some Odo detecting some Odo being a detective. Um, so maybe there's something there, but I think generally it's early and we don't really know these characters yet intimately. So it's just like Kira is saying it because we need her to say it because she needs a sounding board to like work through her, her thing, like her dilemma. Right. And I, I get that they're paired together in that role because they're the two non Starfleet officers in the cat, in the, the main cast. Right. Like, I mean, of course we have Quark, but you wouldn't talk about work with Quark. right? <laughs> no. So, so I, I like, it's, it's just because there's no one else there, or at least that's what it, it feels like to me. It's because there's no one else there. And like, I don't. Yeah. And I guess they've known each other the longest of everyone on board yeah. too. Yeah. But like how, how long is that? actually right like i just i don't i find the whole thing confusing because like in the pilot you see them getting along and they seem like they've been working together for a really long time but at the same time in the pilot um gold ducat is like that was my office two weeks ago so i just feel like how much time could odo and kira really have worked together when she was probably would have been she was a prisoner or not able to fully function as a human well not human but you know what I mean like as a I just don't see when their rapport would have from the two weeks in between the occupation ending and it doesn't it just doesn't the timeline doesn't make sense to me yeah it's uh confusing yeah and I'm like even though we're pointing all of these things out I just want to say that this is not detract me or make me feel like like plot holes are going to be plot holes I don't it doesn't make me enjoy the show any less I just don't that that doesn't make sense but it also didn't ruin anything for me I just think there's something to say where when you're critical of something it doesn't mean that you're not enjoying it also totally agree totally agree totally agree and like and I think too maybe where I I could be sounding more critical than I intend is because I do like the show and I am familiar with it and I know these characters and I know their arcs for, for better or for worse. So it's like easier on some levels for me to, to take it at face value that, Oh yeah. Like Kira and Odo are friends. They, she Kira goes to Odo for advice and sober second thought. That's just their deal. But I think because of some of that Odo stuff that we talked about earlier and how different Odo feels to me than 
the Odo I remember in my mind, it's making me think a little bit more about things that I would maybe take for granted or have taken for granted on previous, taken for granted on previous watches. And that's ultimately what pod race and this, this project is all about. Like it's about two things, right? It's about me having an excuse to, to meet with you at least, but then also for us to then talk about Star Trek and, and work through it and have, deep and both irreverent thoughts right <laughs> yeah i i agree completely i just was um that was more for the for the audience than for me me commenting on things you were saying but um we do this because we love deep space nine that's what i was just trying to say so at the end of their conversation odo reminds kira not to turn against herself and that's when she decides that she's going to um work with cisco and tell him what he's learned, what she's learned about Tanalos. And um, I was kind of laughing because I don't know, like, I don't know, like, legal terms. And they're they're going to have Kira go and do whatever this plot is with Tanalos. And I'm like, is this entrapment? But then I realized that I think to be entrapment, it would have had to have been maybe Kira's idea to do whatever the plan is. Because Tanalo seems like he's going to do it with or without her. Once again, I just want to do a callback to our preview episode that listeners, if you haven't listened to it, it's a quick, it's about 10 minutes. And in that episode, we mentioned that we are not lawyers. So if you are a lawyer and want to be a, the, our legal, our legal, um, our lawyer, our legal lawyer, <laughs> counsel, <laughs> our legal counsel, that's that our, to be our counsel for the pod race. Please tweet at us. We know. Tell we us, know, is this or is this not entrapment? Yeah, we know a lot of lawyers. We should probably ask them someone on for for fun. There's another. There's a, this is off topic, but um, I listened to a podcast about Veronica Mars and there's a lot of stuff, shady stuff that goes on in that show and at the end of every episode, they have a lawyer on to talk about what was legally done and what was illegal and what would have um, been the consequences. And it is very entertaining. All right. So their whole, so Tana Loss and the Kalmas whole plan is yes, he wasn't totally lying when he told Kira that the violence was done, that they were done harming other people. However, their plan is and why they want needed to buy the the weapon parts that they did from the the Duras sisters was Tanalos is intending to blow up the and collapsed the wormhole or the recently found wormhole and he views that as being a kind of one shot move one fell swoop um to what he views as true Bajoran independence. Because Kira's been saying to him, well, we need the Federation here now because the wormhole's been discovered and if the Federation leaves, the Cardassians will just swoop in to, to control the wormhole. So they're, the Federation's a, a necessary evil or they're not as bad or, or we need them. And Tanalos' perspective is like, well, no, they're all here for the wormhole. Let's just get rid of the wormhole and then we can truly let Bajor stand on its own. Um, what did you think of that plot, Elise? Um, or that plan, I should say. <laughs> I don't know how that would gain them independence because I feel like, personally, I feel like the Federation being in the area was a decision made before the wormhole was known to be existing. And so I don't know that that would make the Federation leave. If anything, I feel like that would make more Federation people come to the area because it would maybe be seen as unstable. 
So it didn't really make sense to me and it didn't seem like a plan that would work. But um, I also feel like the wormhole and what was found in it seemed very important to Bejor from, from like a cultural and religious perspective. And I don't know how the Kai would take to that and how that would be seen by Bajorans. I don't know how much of what was found in the wormhole was, you know, told to Bajorans. I mean, I'm sure Kaiopaka was um, explained a little bit about what happened. I wonder how, from like a cultural or religious standpoint, Bajor would handle the celestial temple being destroyed or being yeah, no, unable to be reached. Yeah, no, then it's you're exactly right. Like it doesn't feel thought through and it's like okay it, it responds to what are Kira's objections that she voices to why you know the Bejor needs the the partnership with the Federation at this point but you're 100% correct at least that the provisional government asked Starfleet there before the wormhole was even a thing and like everything else so like I think it would further destabilize the unstable situation on Bejor but I mean, maybe they see the path to they being the Colma to governance from further frat causing causing further chaos, and then they can kind of come out of it that way, right? Maybe that's their goal, but yeah. who knows? Seems seems not seems like not the most effective direct method to the levers of power, but who knows? Because Starfleet teams up with the Cardassians and stops the Pajoran terrorists. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this episode clearly oh was just to have Kira in a position where she was going to be more okay with the Federation being there and helping. And as we said, it's hard to know. You, we didn't look up how long, how much time has passed since the pilot. But um, it's funny that she's having to defend the Federation the whole time. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she she's not stupid. I'm sure she knows that they want Bejor to join the Federation. But I don't know that she knows that. I mean, Picard basically tasked Cisco with getting that done. So, so yeah. So I don't, I feel like she still doesn't know the full picture of what the Federation's plans are. But she just had to come out of this as being a team player. I feel like this was just to have her assess her past behavior and become a team player, which I don't know. I mean, obviously she's going to, I mean, spoiler alert, she's a character that says her opinion all the time. And in a good, I mean that in a positive way, like she'll, she'll tell you even if it's not what you want to hear. And I don't think that that changes, but it is interesting that she had to defend the Federation the whole time when that's what she was arguing against the whole pilot. I read um, on Memory Alpha that the an original in an earlier version of the teleplay, they actually had Tanalus um, turn his back on terrorism and attempt to forge peace with the Kardashians before being killed by his own people. And I feel like I don't know that he needed to become a martyr, so that probably is better that that got changed. Also. He annoyed me too much, so I would. I'm happy that he's not a martyr now. Fair enough, but it's it's interesting that you mentioned that, and like let's 
Let's make a mental note to circle back to this maybe at the start of season two. Sounds good. I don't remember what happens at the beginning of season two, so I'm excited to eventually get there. I think that's most of what happened in the episode. Yeah, I I think we did it. So we'll move now to our one of our two regularly scheduled segments. We'll now move on to the Altair Water Thirst Quencher segment. Folks will remember Altair Water from Star Trek 3. It's the drink that Bones orders at the bar. And we have our thirst quenching section because we need some of that Altair Water to cool us down, to dehydrate us, because we are very, very thirsty. So Elise, who are we thirsting for this week Can I get- on Star Trek <laughs> Space Nine? Can I get a Dura Sisters in the house? Oh, I love them. They're hot. And their outfits with the boob cutouts. It's so male gazy, and I don't even care because I love it so much. <laughs> They're just great. Great, great boobs. So the Dura sisters um, may have been, you know... Romulan collaborators working to throw to throw their empire into chaos and and seek power and you know their their villains and and all of that stuff but um yeah i mean who who doesn't like a good a good villain that becomes formative to their their development <laughs> as you know a person and and things like that so um as much as i have criticisms of using more tng alumni this early in deep space nine always always down for um a Dura sisters appearance and that's all i'll say about that now, now that you've admitted that publicly, um, I remember that maybe a couple years ago, you sending me a picture of them saying almost the exact same thing, what you just said to me. So con- Matt is, if nothing else, consistent, which I appreciate. And just to be clear that I don't send unsolicited Klingon <laughs> boob window pics. No, it was there part of the conversation. Prior, prior consent. <laughs> no, it was um, definitely... Uh, part of a conversation about you know anyway <laughs> <laughs> and then elise i guess just as we kind of you know wind down the episode here we have our second regular segment what was your most star trek moment of the episode so i think you should go because mine is mostly just agreeing with your choice fair enough so i said the most star trek moment was kira having to explain why the Federation was good. Yes, um, I agree. And I also feel like it was almost completely a, a retcon of her um, previous stance. But um, I do think that why the Federation is good is something that is discussed in every Star Trek. It doesn't always come down on the side of it is good, but it's at least discussed in every Star Trek, I think, that exists. Well, I think we did it. I think so. In the meantime, Elise, where can our listeners find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find the show on 
Instagram and Twitter at PodRates, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. Perfect. And you can follow me on Twitter as well at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. As always, thank you so much to DJ Empirical for our Out of This World theme song. And yeah, I guess we'll uh we'll see you we'll see you folks next time. Thanks for listening. Computer and program. Bye.